If you are visiting with us today, blessings, we're, we're glad you're here. We're, we're in a series um, where we're going through the book of Nehemiah together. Nehemiah was a follower of God. He, he wasn't a fan. He's an incredible man of, of, of God. It's really a, a study on leadership, godly leadership. I, I've told you over and over again that we're all leaders, every one of us. We're leaders in our marriages. We're leaders in our families. If you have the title of, you know, uh, dad or mom, makes you a leader. Some of you are the firstborn child in your family. And as I've shared, you know, in our culture, that didn't mean a whole lot, unfortunately. In biblical days, if you were the firstborn, it was a weighty thing. But you might be the firstborn in your family. That makes you a, a leader. We're, we're, we're leaders in our businesses. And many of you over the past eight weeks have began to see yourself differently. You're not just the owner of the business. You're, you're the leader, the influencer uh, in that business. We're, we're leaders at our job. Some of you have the title of uh, manager. You might have the, uh, the, the, the title of supervisor, uh, vice president, senior vice president. Some of you are the president of the company, the CEO of the, of the company. We're leaders in our classrooms. We're, we're leaders on our sports teams. You're, you're the captain of, of the team, maybe. We're leaders on the boards that, that we serve on, and many of you throughout the community serve on lots of different boards. You're very active in, in, in the community. We're uh, leaders in, in the neighborhoods that we live in. And most importantly, we're the leaders in our own lives. Nobody has greater influence on you than you. We're, we're, we're the leaders of our own lives. And Nehemiah has given us some really good things to ponder as it relates to, to leadership. We've learned the importance of prayer. Nehemiah was an incredible man of prayer. We've learned the importance of having organized, well-thought-through plans We've learned the importance of motivation. We've, we've learned the importance of dealing with opposition. Last week, we learned the importance of dealing with sin, anything that gets into our own lives that disrupts the harmony that God wants between us and him, something that disrupts the harmony in your marriage, something that disrupts the harmony of your family, something that disrupts the harmony of the division that you oversee at your business, something that disrupts the harmony of the business that you may own. Nehemiah had some great thoughts that we looked at last week as it relates to, uh, to that. Today we're going to look at the temptations that come with leadership. And I think that God's gonna speak to e each of you, I, I believe that. There's an old saying out there that goes like this, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Now that's not scripture, but I, I think that that's got a lot of truth, you know, packed within it. There are, are lots of advantages or, or benefits that come with leadership. They're, they're legitimate. The extra work and the effort that you put into your job that got you the promotion or whatever tends to come with, with more power or perks or position or privileges or, or advantages. A manager or a supervisor has more power, more perks than a brand new employee, right? 
And there's nothing evil in that. That's a legitimate deal. You worked hard, you put in the time, the energy, the effort, and you've got, you know, raised up, got the new manager or supervisor's position. And that comes with more perks than if you were simply uh, an employee that got hired yesterday. Manager or supervisor has access to the boss or the owner, where a simple employee probably doesn't. A manager gets a better office, usually, right? than the guy that was just hired. The extra effort and work that you put into starting your business comes with more power or perks or advantages or privileges or whatever. There are certain organizations out there that you as a business owner can be a part of that a manager can't be a part of, isn't invited to. You, you, you get to be a part of some clubs that employees can't be a part of. There are certain parties that you as a business owner get invited to, right? That your managers don't, your supervisors don't get invited to those parties. The, the owner of the business doesn't have to punch in, right? They can show up when they wanna show up. But you as an employee or you as a manager or a supervisor or whatever, you know what, the owner of the business may tell you, punch in, punch out, clock in, clock out, whatever that, that, that might be. Obviously parents, because of their position, have more power, if you will, privileges, perks, than, say, their children uh, do. Uh, politicians, because of their position, have more power, privilege than, than most because of their leadership positions. I, as the senior pastor of this church, have a whole lot more perks and advantages than I did 30 years ago when I started here as the youth pastor. When I started here, this church wasn't at this location. We were um, over on Stanford Avenue, and the youth department was kind of where Vincent Chase's buildings are. And uh, it wasn't a Target then, it was a Jemco. And that's where the youth department was. And my office back then was an eight-foot table. <laughs> and I shared that eight-foot table with the junior high pastor who is now the senior pastor at Mill Creek, Bob Irwin. And what we did was we put a piece of wood up with two bricks, okay? And then we cut a hole in the piece of wood. I'm not kidding you. And we had one phone. And it would ring, and I'd answer it, you know, hello, oh, you want to talk to the junior high guy? Hold on a second. Hold. Slide it through the hole. Phone for you, Bob, okay? I'm not kidding you. That, that, that we were low guys on the totem pole. So we had an eight-foot you know, desk that we, that we shared. It, we didn't have a lot of perks and no one cared what we thought. You know, we weren't invited to all the important meetings. We just got a memo handed down to us saying, okay, here's what, what's gonna go on. Now, obviously today, after 30 years of putting in a lot of hard work and being faithful, I don't sit at an eight foot desk anymore. My office is a little bit nicer. I don't find out stuff, you know, two weeks later. <laughs> I'm the guy creating it, giving it down to all those guys, you see? And there's nothing evil or wicked in that. You put the energy in, you put the time in, you work hard, you're faithful at what you do. Some perks come with being the manager now or the supervisor. You work hard and invest your own money into a business or whatever. Nothing evil or wicked in getting those those perks or whatever it, 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 it might be. What is sinful, what is wicked, what is crummy is when you use your position, 
When you use your position of leadership in a crummy way, when you misuse it or you abuse it, that is crummy. Let me give you a few examples of some people that you might, might remember. Uh, Richard Nixon, our president. William got a crook. Well, th then why'd you resign? You resigned because you were a crook. You misused and abused your position as the president. Uh, Bill Clinton, he misused and abused the position, the power that the presidency comes with when he had his little uh, liaison with Monica Lewinsky. Now, she was an adult, but that was an abuse and a misuse of power to take advantage of an intern. Some of you remember Governor Blagojevich, who's in jail right now, prison right now, be there a long time, because he misused and abused his position of leadership. Right now in the newspaper, there's a guy by the name of Jesse Jackson Jr. who's gonna go to jail for a long time because he misused and abused his position of, of leadership. He pled guilty to you know, some crimes. I, I don't know what they all were. How about in the, in the business world? How many of you remember Kenneth Lay? He was at the top of the, of the heap as it relates to Enron. And he abused his position. He misused his position. And lots of people, thousands of people, lost lots of money. Some of you. Lots of people lost their jobs because he abused his position, you see. Some of you remember the name Bernie Madoff. Guy was the head of the SEC at one time. Had risen up the ranks, was a very powerful man, had a big leadership position, if you will, and he abused it, misused it, and lots of people lost lots of money, and he'll, spend, he'll die in, in prison. Priests, the whole Catholic, you know, uh, priest scandal. Here were some men in very powerful positions, very influential positions, who abused their, their authority. They misused their authority when they started having sex with children. And then you had the supervisors above them who instead of taking those priests to the, you know, the, the, the jail or to the police officers, just kept it quiet and just moved them to another parish so they could goof around with kids there. That's a misuse and abuse of power. Uh, uh, in the Protestant church, we got ours who uh, are pastors of churches that you know, have had you know, sexual relationships with their own sheep. That's an abuse of power. That's a misuse of power. And in my world, all the little magazines I get and all the little stuff I get, it's unbelievable how often that happens. Teachers abusing their positions of leadership by having sex with their students. That's crummy. And there's a reason why people spend time in prison over those things, and, and, and they should. Beloved, almost on a daily basis, we hear about people who were in positions of, of great leadership, which means they had great power, privileges, whatever, but they fell hard. Beloved, there are huge temptations that come with leadership. Huge. And if you're not careful, you, you'll blow it also. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, 
or 25, he said, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Hey, leaders, you watch, you pray, you be on the alert, live a sober life because there are temptations that are out there and they'll bring you down. He says, the spirit is willing. When you received Christ into your life, the Holy Spirit came in your life and the Holy Spirit's willing. The Holy Spirit wants you to be a follower. It's your flesh that wants to keep you as just a fan. Just kind of on the sidelines. Somebody who just comes to church and screams and says, hey, you know, let's all sing the song Kumbaya. It's easy to do this. Easy. You see, the, the, the enemy can't do anything about your salvation. You're going to heaven if you know the Lord. Your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life and all that kind of stuff. But what the, what the flesh can do is make sure that you're never a follower, really. You're just a fan. You never engage. You never really get involved. You never really use your influence or your leadership in, a, in an incredible, uh, God-honoring uh, way. Now, with all this said, let, let, let me quickly give you the, the backdrop to uh, the story of Nehemiah. And it's for those of you that are visiting with us. I want to honor you. I don't want to just get into something. You go, who's Nehemiah? Nehemiah um, was written about 2,500 years ago or, or so. Uh, the people, the Jewish people, all lived in a city called Jerusalem. And God had said, you know what? Just live by my commands and I'll blow your mind. I'll take care of all your needs. I'll protect you. I'll watch over you. We'll have this incredible relationship together. Much like my, my children, my son's down here, my fourth grade son, and you know what? He has some rules he has to live by in our home. You know, there are certain things he has to do. Sunday's his day to take the trash cans out, and there's just certain things he, he's to do. And if he does those things, man, it's a pretty sweet gig. Got a bed to sleep in, got a roof over his head, he gets food, it's a sweet deal. Now, if he chooses... And he rarely does to go, you know what, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to live by dad's rules. I'm not going to do them this week. Well, it, it can get kind of dicey for him in the house. <laughs> well, guess what? When you choose to blow God off, it gets a little dicey in the house. And the people, of, of, uh, uh, the people that lived in Jerusalem, the Jews said, God, thank you for your rules. We don't want to live by them. And so God allowed a conquering army, a Persian army, to come. And in those days, you would have built a, a wall around your city because that's what protected you. You know, they didn't have, like, police like we've got today or, you know, sheriffs and all that kind of stuff. So you'd build a wall. And this Persian army came, and they had their battering rams and bashed in the gates, and they bashed down the walls. And this army came into Jerusalem, and killed a lot of people, ransacked all the houses, and tore down the, the temple that they worshiped God in. And then they, they gathered up all of the survivors, and they deported them from Jerusalem about 800 to 1,000 miles to a city called Babylon, which is where Iraq is today. And so the, the people, the Jewish people, were now in captivity in, in, in Babylon. Well, after a number of decades, God extends his hand of grace, and he allowed a bunch of Jewish people to make the five-month journey from Babylon back to Jerusalem. But after decades, you know, man, the city was in ruins. You know, there were probably weeds everywhere and, you know, varmints running around. People looted the, the, the town. But at least they got to come back to their, to their, to their city. 
And about 20 years after that first group of people arrived, a guy by the name of Zerubbabel was able to at least rebuild the temple so that the people of God could worship the way God wanted them to worship. And then a second wave of Jews was allowed to come back out of Babylon, back to Jerusalem. And back in Babylon, there was a guy by the name of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah went to his boss, if you will, the king. His name was Artaxerxes. And he said, King, I sure would love to go back to the city of my forefathers, the city of God, if you will, and I'd like to rebuild all of the walls and rebuild the city. I mean, the people, they're all depressed and bummed out, and, and I sure would like to bring the morale back up. And Artaxerxes said, go for it. And so Nehemiah made the five-month journey, is about what it would have taken, you know, on camels and all that kind of stuff, to go from Babylon, Iraq, all the way back to Jerusalem. And when he arrives, he starts looking at all the rubble and the walls, and he begins to plan and think and dream, how can I get this thing all rebuilt? There comes a moment when he gathers the whole town together, and he says, hey, listen, man, I got it all thought out. I got a plan here, man. We can rebuild this city. We, 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 can, we can, you know, in the disgrace, I mean, we're God's people, and look at God's town. It's a mess. This is a disgrace. Let's end this thing. Come on. Let's rebuild this city. And the people go, let's do it, you know. And so his plan was he, he put a family on this section of the wall, and then he put another family on this section of the wall, and then he put another family on this section of the wall, and all the way around the city, man, he just had families working together, and he got goldsmiths involved in making the hinges for the doors and all that kind of stuff. He even had perfume makers doing their piece. But there was opposition out there, so Nehemiah tells all of these families, hey, listen, while you're putting the rocks back in and putting the mortar all back in and you're rebuilding this wall, you better have your spear in your hand. You better have your you know, sword in your, on your side. You've got to be ready because at any moment you may have to drop the rocks you got and pull out your spear and take on the bad guys that are trying to stop us from rebuilding this, this wall. Well, the wall was, was getting built, and they were dealing with the opposition was out there. But last week, we saw that all of a sudden, there, there was opposition on the inside. All the Jewish people were all bummed out and upset, and, and there was all this, this uh, controversy happening and conflict going on amongst all the people. And what was happening was the leaders, those in, in positions of authority, the, the governors, uh, the big business owners, the mayors, if you will, the city council members, the um, supervisors, those senators, congressmen, whoever they were, those that were in authority, were ripping people off. It was a crummy deal, and so it caused all this conflict within the ranks. And so in your Bibles or on your notes, I want you to look at Nehemiah chapter 5, and where we pick the story up is Nehemiah is confronting these leaders, the governors, the big shots, the business owners, if you will. So let's listen to Max read this. So I continued. What you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let the exacting of usury stop. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the usury you are charging them, the hundredth part of the money, grain, new wine, and oil. 
We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned uh, the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, In this way, may God shake out of his house and possessions every man who does not keep this promise. So may such a man be shaken out and emptied. At this the whole assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Moreover, from the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until his thirty-second year, twelve years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took forty shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, a hundred and fifty Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me, and every ten days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favor, O oh my God, for all I have done for these people. So obviously, King Artaxerxes has told Nehemiah, Nehemiah, no longer you're going to be my cupbearer. That was his job when he was in Babylon. But he's now been appointed the governor been the governor now for about 12 years or so. But what do we learn about the temptations of leadership in this story? Well, I think there's a, a lot of things, but I, I want to maybe just share with you two huge ways that you as a leader will be tempted, and I've alluded to them already. Number one, you'll be tempted to misuse and abuse your position. In verse 15, it says, but the earlier governors, the, the earlier leaders, the earlier mayors, uh, uh, city council members, uh, uh, big shot leaders of, of the city, those who preceded me placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from, a, uh, from them in addition to uh, food and wine. And their assistants, and when you're the assistant to the governor, when you're the assistant to, you know, big shots, guess what? They, those assistants were leaders. They also lorded it over the, 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 the people. Beloved, last week we saw that the people, the average Joes, were struggling to make ends meet. They were struggling to put food on the table for their families. In fact, we learned last week that it got so bad that the average Joe guy, he would go to a leader, he would go to a business owner and say, look, I, I can't afford any food. I can't feed my family. And that business owner would say, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. You got a couple of young strapping boys you give them to me, and they'll be my free laborers, and then I'll give you some food. And so, you know, these poor guys were going, okay, giving up their sons and daughters, 
into slavery just so they could feed themselves. Now think about this. They had been in Babylon in captivity. They were slaves in Babylon, and now God has set them free. They're back in their hometown, and now their own people, the leaders of their own people, were putting them back into slavery. How crummy is that? It's a crummy thing. Let me tell you something. One of the temptations of leadership is, is you'll abuse it and you'll misuse it. They were putting extra tax burdens on the people. They, they, were, they were just making things work. They were making unrealistic demands on the people. Simply put, they were misusing and abusing their positions. This is one of the reasons why Jesus hated the religious leaders so much. They abused the people they were supposed to serve. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey what they tell you. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, when you're in the synagogue... And these religious folks step up and they unroll the scroll and they read to you from the scroll, you listen closely and whatever you hear, you do. Just don't do what they do. Don't follow their example for they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and they never lift a finger to ease the burden. This is brutal. Jesus says, listen, when you hear these words, do them. Just don't watch those leaders' lives and follow their examples because they're not doing this. Beloved, they were misusing and abusing their position, which still happens in churches today. There are many churches out there today that do exactly what these religi religious leaders were doing 2,000 years ago. They misuse and they abuse their authority by putting burdens on people that God himself doesn't put on people. Look, let me, let me just tell you something. The only thing you need to do is what this book says. That's it. You don't need to do any more than what this book says. Obviously, you don't do less than what God says. I often get into conversations with people who say, well, you know, since you're a pastor, shouldn't you do more? Shouldn't you go over and above the call of duty as a leader? No! What God says is in this book. This is what God requires of me. It's what God requires of you. In fact, what God says is, is when you're looking for a pastor, when you're looking for elders, what you want to do is find people that are doing this. And when you find people who actually are living this out and have for a long time where you can examine their life, those are to be your leaders. They can be your elders, your pastors. God doesn't say, here's how I want all of you to live, and if you're a leader, um, well, then you need to go over and above the call of duty. Well, what's that? I don't know. You, you figure that out. No. I am required by God to simply do this, and so are you.
But there are churches all over our town that will make demands on people that God himself doesn't even make on people. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. And I want you to know, another place this often happens is, 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 is in our homes. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 6, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, just bring them up in the disciple and the, and, and the discipline and the, and the uh, instructions that come from this book. In other words, the thought is, hey, dads, moms, don't put burdens on your children that even God doesn't put on them. Simply teach them this. Discipline them in this. This is it. And what we can do is we can all of a sudden be demanding more of our children than even God demands of you as a father or a mother, you see. One of the things we have to be careful of is how we use the, the power our positions can give us. Uh, n- number two, you'll be tempted to profit from your position. Number one, you'll be tempted to abuse and misuse it. Number two, profit from it. Verse 14 says, Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judea, until the 32nd year, which is 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food that was allotted to the governors. All my men were assembled there for the work, and my men, myself, we didn't go around and try to acquire any land either. Beloved, the people in leadership, the, 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 they were living pretty well. The, the leaders in the community, the governors that had come before uh, uh, Nehemiah, man, they had a good job. They lived in a really nice house. They made a really nice salary. They were doing really well. But what they kept doing was they put heavier tax burdens on the people, people that were already struggling, people who were working hard just trying to make ends meet. And then those leaders who had nice jobs and nice homes and nice salaries went, hey, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make sure that we get free food on top of it all. So we'll make a, a, a governor's allotment. So every day or every week, someone knock on the door of their big, beautiful home and drop all this food off, all this wine and grain or whatever it might have been. So they didn't have to spend any of their own money. Here were their, their countrymen, their, 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 their own people who were suffering. And they're just profiting from all of the despair that was going on. One of the ways that they would acquire land would be, you know, um, somebody would, uh, the McClure's are sitting right back here, and, and man, they're working hard, and they got a little hunk of land, and, and, and they just don't have anything. And, and so Andrew comes to me and says, hey, you know, you're, you're the governor, and I'm really struggling. I'm just trying to feed my family. And I go, oh, Andrew, that's really great. I'll tell you what, um, I'll give you some food, but how many acres of land do you got? Oh, you got 100, 100 acres of uh, vines? You give those to me. You, you just give me the deed, and I'll give you food. They were acquiring land. All of a sudden, the hard times that had fallen upon the people, it was just easy for them to gobble up all the land. Let me tell you something. When you become a leader, you've got to be careful because one of the temptations is you, you'll be tempted to profit somehow from the position that, that you have. Years ago, American Express ran a commercial with this tagline. Some of you will remember it. Membership has its privileges. Remember that? Well, so does leadership. Leadership usually comes with more pay 
right? You make a little bit more money when you're the manager or the supervisor. You make a little bit more money when you're the senior vice president or the president. You make a little bit more money if you're the CEO or whatever it might be. Uh, I make a few shekels more than I did when I was a youth guy here. Leadership most of the time comes with more pay. Leadership usually comes with more benefits, right? Man, if you're just, you know, entry-level employee, you may not get health benefits. But, but if you're the, you know, the CEO, you probably got some pretty decent benefits, m more than the average soul. Leadership usually comes with more freedoms, things like scheduling. If you're a low guy on the totem pole, you get the bad shift, right? You got to work the night shift. But if you've been there a long time or you're the manager, guess what you can do? You can schedule your shift anytime you want it, whatever works best for you. Leadership usually comes with a bigger expense account. And the truth is that many leaders can't handle this. They fall into temptation. They misuse and abuse their positions or they somehow manipulate things so that they can profit from them. Now I want you to notice what Nehemiah says at the end of verse 15. He says, but out of reverence for God, I do not act like this. I, I, I didn't misuse my position. I didn't abuse my position. I did not gain personally from my position. I didn't act like that. Beloved, Nehemiah was a, a different kind of man. He was a different kind of leader. He didn't misuse or abuse his position. He didn't try to profit from his leadership. He, he never used an expense account. He, he refused to levy taxes. He refused to buy land for profit. He paid his servants from his own personal income to do public work. He daily fed over 150 people at his own personal expense. Beloved, it seems to me that most politicians, Republicans and Democrats, have used their positions of leadership to somehow game the system. They make laws that everybody else has to follow and obey but them. Tell me how crummy that is. You want to talk about an abuse of their power, a misuse of their power that they would sit in those buildings that we all paid for and that they would create laws and say, you know what, you all have to live by those laws, but we don't. Huh? How does that, how does that work? How do you get away with that? It makes no sense to me. They make deals with those that will give them money for their campaigns. In other words, you know, money gets you access. And then what happens is, you know, they put all these earmarks and all of these bills that go out and all those earmarks just simply go to all their cronies that gave them money so that their cronies can get wealthy. Most of them have gotten rich, really rich, simply because of their positions as leaders. It's one of the reasons why it just stinks when you hear about politics, huh? It just really stinks. Now, it's not to say they're all that way. They're not. But certainly, there's enough bad apples that just spoil the, 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 the whole deal. Now, what was, what was Nehemiah's secret? What kept Nehemiah from misusing and abusing his power? What kept Nehemiah from profiting from his position? How, how do you keep your integrity as a leader? That, that, that's the question I want to deal with here in the last few minutes I've got. Number one, you have to deepen your love and your reverence for God. Nehemiah says, but out of reverence for God, I didn't act like that. 
Now, there were a whole lot of governors that came before me, and, and they were crummy. And they did a lot of crummy things. And they misused and abused the power. They profited from the people. But I, I didn't do that. And the reason I didn't do that was because of my love for God, my reverence for God. Beloved, Nehemiah wanted to please God more than he wanted to please himself. He loved God deeply. And the reason I know he loved God deeply was how he conducted his life. Nehemiah had a special reverence for God, and the reason I know he had a special reverence for God is because I can read about his life. Nehemiah didn't need to tell me he loved God deeply. Nehemiah didn't need to say, out of reverence for God, I didn't act like that. He didn't need to say that. You can look at his life, how he conducted his life, and see that he had a, a, a deep love for God. Beloved, a lot of people will say they love God and have a reverence for God, but when you look at their lives or how they lead their families or how they lead their businesses or how they lead their own lives, it's obvious that it's just words. A lot of people will say, I love God, I love God, I, I have a deep love for God, and then you look at their life and how they lead their own life or how they lead their family or their business and you just go, you're just a liar. You really don't. God said this through the great prophet Isaiah, and so the Lord says, these people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In other words, what Isaiah is saying here is, man, there's a lot of fans out there. A lot of fans. Followers are a different story. Beloved, this is written, you know, thousands of years ago, but it's still true today. There are lots of people out there that will tell you how much they love God and revere his name, but when you look at their conduct, when you look at their lives, when you look at their families, when you look at how they run their businesses or whatever, it just becomes obvious it's not true. It's just not true. The half-brother of Jesus, James, said these powerful words. He said, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, if you say you love God and you revere God, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister has no food or clothing, and you say, hey, goodbye, and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing, what good does that do? You see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Now, some may argue some people have faith and others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have any good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds, which is the life of Nehemiah. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? And what he says is, is, there, is this. Look, the, the demons believe in God, and they believe in God to the degree that they even shudder. Oh, my gosh. I know a lot of people who are fans who don't even shudder at the name. Of Jesus. But the demons do. 
the demons have a deeper respect, a deeper reverence, if you will, than even some people do. Now let me give you the, 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 the two things that I think Nehemiah understood, and because he understood these, these two things, I, I think it's what, what kept him centered on the Lord. Number one, he understood that God was the one that put him into his position. Okay, Nehemiah had never forgotten that it was God who had sent him back to Jerusalem. He knew it was God that had given him the project. It was God that chose him for the job that he was doing. He knew that. And when you really have that understanding that God is the one who puts you in your position, whatever that is, manager, supervisor, CEO, vice president, president, pastor, it doesn't matter what it is. When you understand that it's God, wow, it'll, it'll change your perspective. The Bible says this in Psalms 75. For no one on earth from east or west or even from the wilderness should raise a defiant fist. It is God alone who judges. God decides who will rise and who will fall. One version says, for promotion and power come from nowhere on earth, but only from God. God is the one who promotes and deposes another. And beloved, I want you to know something. Great leaders realize that they're just simply stewards. They, they realize that it's not their world, it's not their church, it's not their business, it's not their family, it's not their team or whatever, that they're just simply managers. Great leaders have an understanding that they're just stewards of whatever it is God has chosen to, 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 to give them. Jesus said this in uh, John chapter 15. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you would go and bear fruit. Uh, Nehemiah, you didn't choose me. I chose you, Nehemiah, that you would go and you'd build a wall. That was going to be the fruit that Nehemiah produced for the Lord. Beloved, God chose Adam and Eve to be the first two human beings. God chose Noah to build an ark. God chose Abraham to be the father of many nations. God chose Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nations. God chose David to be a king. God chose Mary to have a baby. God chose Peter to be a disciple. God chose Charles Spurgeon to be a preacher. God chose Billy Graham to be an evangelist. God chose me to be the pastor of this church. And God chose you. A lot of you know. You got to see some of it up here. God chose John to play guitar and write songs and lead worship. God, God chose Juan Manuel, my friend from Cuba, to play the, the Congos like Ricky Ricardo. <laughs> God chose some people to love and care for children, and that's what they're doing right now. God chose some to mentor teenagers. We have a bunch of our teens that have gone to Hume Lake this week, and some of our adults are there loving and caring for teenagers. God chose some of you to uh, lead Bible studies and lead small groups. There are hundreds of people in here who understand that God chose them for something and appointed them that they would go bear fruit. But I know that there are still some of you going, man, I don't know how to answer that question. Well, that's why we have a shape class. We want to make sure that you discover what that is that God chose you to do, that you could go and bear fruit, just like Nehemiah. Nehemiah understood this. 
And the greater your understanding is of this truth that God is the one who chose you, the greater your love and reverence will be towards the Lord. And number two, Nehemiah understood that God was going to someday hold him accountable to how he used that position. Verse 9 says, uh, Nehemiah looks at all these leaders and says, what are you doing? What you're doing isn't right. Hey, governor, mayor, congressman, congresswoman, what you're doing's wrong. Hey, business leader, this ain't right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God? In other words, don't you understand that there's going to come a moment when you are going to stand before God Almighty and give an account? Don't you get it? Look, when you understand that God is the one who gave you your position, whatever that position is, and you understand that someday you're going to stand before God and give an account, it'll keep you focused on your love for God. It'll keep you focused on your, your reverence um, you know, for, for God. Someday, look, I don't know how it's all going to go down, okay? Uh, in my mind, my crazy mind, I, I, someday I'm going to take my last breath. I'm going to be up there with Jesus, and I'm hoping we sit around a couple of tables, you know, and got a couple of coffees. And Jesus is going to look at me, and this is what I want to hear him say. Rick, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Hey, you weren't perfect. You didn't do everything right. But you were faithful. Well done. I want to hear that. I live for that. Now, there's going to be a lot of people who, you know, your sins are forgiven. You know, you're a Christian. Your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You're going to heaven. And I don't know how it's going to go down. He's going to sit down with you and go, hey, uh, man, I created you for a purpose, for a reason. You didn't do anything. I, I raised you up in positions of leadership, and you misused it, and you abused it. And I don't know if he's going to get you in a headlock and give you a noogie and say, now get out of here and go enjoy heaven. I, I, don't, I don't know how it's all going to go down. I, I don't. But, but that, that moment's going to come. I just want you to know, I want to hear, Rick, well done. Well done. Look, God doesn't call you to be successful. He calls you to be faithful, which is the task of leadership, is that we just got to be faithful. Look, here's the bottom line. I believe that when you see a leader who's abusing their power or trying to profit from it, you can be sure of two things. Number one, they don't love and revere the Lord. And number two, they don't love people, which is the, the second thing, okay? Number two is you have to develop a love for people. And we see this in verse 17 and, and 18. You, 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 Nehemiah just loved people, and he cared about people. He understood that the people had a heavy tax burden. He said, man, I'm, I'm not taxing the people. I make plenty of money. I'm a wealthy guy. And so what he did was he would go to people and, hey, McClure's, listen, I'll buy some of your grain. I'll buy some of your oats. I'll buy some of your wine. Just drop it off. Hey, I'll buy a sheep. I'll buy a goat. And he'd have it all dropped off at his house. And he'd invite 150 people to his home. That's a big house. And then he'd say, anybody coming into town, just have them stop by my house. I'll take care of it. He was trying to figure out ways to alleviate the burdens from people. So he's creating jobs. He's giving, you know, you guys money here. Go do something with your money. Keep your land. Because he loved people so much. Obviously, when you read these first five chapters, Nehemiah was a man of great compassion. 
He loved people deeply. He genuinely cared for people. And listen to me, when you truly care for people, when you truly love them, you're not going to rip them off. You're not going to take advantage of them. You show me somebody who's ripping somebody off, taking advantage of, you know, the, their crummy situation. And I'll show you somebody who just has no love for God, no reverence for God, and they certainly don't love people. You want to stay focused. You want to make sure you don't fall into temptation. You, you, you understand your position. You understand you're going to stand before God someday. You, you have a deep love for God and love people deeply. The Bible says this about King David in Psalms chapter 78. It says, he cared for them with a true heart and he led them with skillful hands. One version says he shepherded them with unselfish devotion. That, that describes Nehemiah. He shepherded the people with unselfish devotion, and yet he did it with great skill. And this is one of my life verses, by the way. I, I hope that somehow I, I care for people with a, with a true heart, that I have a deep love for, for people and care about them, but I want to do it with some skillful hands. I want to make sure I, 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 I do it right and in a proper way. Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He said, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives also. Isn't that beautiful? When, when you're giving your own life for people, you're not going to abuse them. When you're giving your life to your spouse, when you're giving your life to your children, when you're, when you're giving your life for people, you're not going to abuse them. You're not going to misuse them. You're not going to try to profit from their, you know, crummy plight that they might, might, might be in. And number three, how do you keep your integrity? You have to trust that God will someday reward you for faithful service. And I talked a little bit about that. Verse 19, he says, God, will you remember me with favor? Just remember all that I've done, God. Would you remember all that, God? Beloved, one of the reasons Nehemiah didn't get caught up in the rat race like some of the other leaders that came before him was because he, he wasn't looking at the temporary. He had his eye on the future. He knew that there was coming a day that, that God would reward him. He knew it. He knew it was coming. Man, Nehemiah could have made a killing in, in real estate because he had tons of money and he had access to all the food. He simply could have said, hey, listen, if you want food, then you come buy it from me. And if you don't have money, I'll just take all your land. This is a man who could have made a killing. But he didn't. Instead, he kept his eyes on the prize. And it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of Moses. It says this in Hebrews chapter 11 about Moses. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. When he grew up, he said, you know what? I, I don't want to be the number two man in, in, in Egypt. I don't want that. 
He chose instead to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. Listen, the pharaohs were the most powerful people on the planet. And he was a son of Pharaoh. They had all the gold and all the money and all the women and all the pleasure, all of the power, all the perks, all the things that every one of you is working so hard to try to achieve. He had it all. He was number two. As soon as the Pharaoh died, he was going to be the Pharaoh. And yet, he walked away from the very thing all of us work so hard, I think, at times to try to get. How'd he pull that off? For he was looking ahead to his great reward. There was a greater reward waiting for him than all of this temporary stuff. He knew that that someday he was going to take his last breath and he would stand before God Almighty. And he wanted that to be an incredible moment. And so I'll give up all of the, 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 the stuff. Nehemiah was saying, God, look, I, I, I could have made a killing here, but I didn't. In fact, I used my own wealth to try to be a blessing to others. Just remember me, God. Look, if you're going to be a leader, you're going to be tempted in these three areas. And the three things that you need to keep at the center of your life are, are you've got to have a deep love and respect for God. You have to care deeply about people and you have to keep your eyes on the future prize that someday is going to come. You see, all of us are leaders just at different levels, different degrees. And there'll always be great temptations out there for us to abuse, misuse, profit from it. And may these three things somehow be a blessing to all of us. Why don't you stand, stand over in the the venue. And if you just close your eyes for just a moment, just, just close them. over in the venue, just, just close your eyes. Let me, let me just tell you, maybe you're here and you want someone to pray for you. The spiritual leaders of our church are in the altar room. There's an altar room in the venue and there's one here. Maybe God spoke to you today and you just want to have some, someone to pray with you, someone to listen to you, someone to give you some counsel. Last night, there were a ton of people in the altar room. It was unbelievable. Maybe you're here and you just want someone to pray for your marriage. Maybe you're here and you, want someone, you just want somebody to pray for somebody else's marriage, you know. A health need, I don't know what it is. But just because the preaching's done doesn't mean God's done working in your life. Take advantage of the altar room. Pastor Scott here, Pastor Scott over in the venue, would you just close our time in prayer now?